you have your Bible with you, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. 1 Peter's kind of towards the back. It's in a group of smaller other books. If you're not familiar with it, you, you'll, you'll find it. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter 3. And as we step into this new year and as we look at and consider like where we are today as a church and where we are today as a people, uh, as, as we look at our lives of faith both in the church and in the community in which God has planted us, we're seeking to be obedient to the, the prompting of God on us as His church. Like, like That's an identity piece that we want to be clear on, that we belong to Him, that we are His people, and what we want to be what we want is to be found obedient, all right, to his leading. We want to be found faithful. And so today we're looking at a verse for 2022, a verse that we want to commit to our collective memory as a church, a verse that we want to apply to our lives as we live and move here in this community in which we find ourselves right now. Um, and so if you're willing and able, I'd humbly ask you to, to stand with me as we look together uh, to God in His Word to us uh, this morning. We're going to start in First Peter uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13 and, and go down through verse 17, but our focus here is on 15. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Jesus, we need you this morning. Uh, we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and, and open our eyes that we might see you, to unstop our ears that we might hear from you, and to awaken our souls this morning, to draw us closer, to draw us nearer, nearer to you. So we pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you may be seated. Some of you, some of you will remember uh, that this past year, almost exactly a year ago uh, today, I stood up here just as I'm just as I'm doing this morning, and I told you that I was praying that God uh, would bless this church with babies. That that was the prayer. Um, some of you wondered about that. Like, like some of you, I was like, some, I don't know if I was rebuked specifically, but I was, some of you, especially some of you new dads or newly expectant dads were like, hey man, uh, how about you just <laughs> dial that back a notch? Uh, and now some of you are holding your little baby in your arms. And so anyway, um, but I really believe that God, like I, I believe then and I believe now that God put that prayer on, on my heart. Um, because I knew stuff that y'all didn't know. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to say. Like, I had met with people who had told me how they were struggling to conceive. Like, I, I had had countless meetings in 2020 
uh, with couples who told me this was a struggle. They were, they were having a difficulty accepting what seemed to be God's timing in their lives. And so we wanted to publicly state, I wanted to publicly state that I'm praying with and for you. That was, that was the goal of that. And, and some of you who, who weren't part of those conversations, you took that to heart, man. I, I've said, like, some of y'all took that as like a personal challenge. You're like, oh, we're getting this done. And so, um, and, and God's providence and in his blessing, we've, we've seen that, right? Just in the past 12 months, we've welcomed six new additions into this church, six precious little covenant children uh, with more on the way. In fact, even just this week, I found out about another one that's a secret. I get insider knowledge, y'all have to wait. Um, no, this, this is an answer to prayer, though, the one that we've been praying for. And, and so I'm excited to know that, that God is working in and through our families to, to, to extend their families. And, and we're continuing to pray with and for those who are trying. That's, that's not stopping. But God's response to that prayer from the last year has really prompted a conviction in my heart and a, a conviction among our leaders here to add another specific um, prayer that we will be consistently praying over and with Rivercrest for this year. And it's another prayer for new births, okay? Last year, we started praying for babies to be born, and this year, we're praying for people to be born again. And that is a specific prayer that I'd love for you to add to your every day, every hour, prayer without ceasing list for this year. We're praying that God would build us, shape us, that he would mold us and make us and move in and through us to become a true Great Commission church here at Rivercrest. We want not just to see, not just to observe, and not just to notice a movement of the Spirit, but we want to participate in and actively engage in the redemptive renewal that Jesus brings to the world through his own life, death, and resurrection being faithfully proclaimed uh, both in our words and in our lives. That's the prayer. That's the prayer for us this year. Your, your verse of the year uh, leads into that, but that's our prayer. We're praying for new creation, sisters and brothers, to, be, to come to know the Lord uh, through the witness of His church. And this is a dangerous prayer, all right? Um, and I want you to know that. It's, it's, it's not dangerous in the sense of like getting, like you're not going to be shot for this. Or, and, and it's also not dangerous in the sense of government persecution. Like, let's not pretend for even a second that we don't enjoy incredible freedom and resources to leverage for the sake of the gospel. The idea that the government or culture can withstand the movement of the Holy Spirit is a lie straight from hell. And, 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 there's, and there's nobody on earth more hopeful that you'll buy into that lie and be paralyzed by it than our enemy, okay? Now, the reason this is a dangerous prayer that we're praying... Um, first and foremost, is because is we're praying, first and foremost, that God, not, would, not that he would change our circumstances, not that God would change our surroundings, but first and foremost, that God would change us, okay? We're praying for eyes to see the brokenness around us. We're praying for eyes to see the neediness and loneliness around us. We're praying that God would give us new hearts that truly beat for others outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort, outside of our security, outside of our preferences, outside of all of that. And so essentially, here's what we're doing, right? We are praying. I am praying for you. Some of you are like, wow, how about stop? I'm telling you, it, it, this is a dangerous prayer. We've prayed this before and seen it happen. We're praying that our hearts would be broken for those who, apart from a saving faith in Christ, 
apart from being born again in him, would otherwise spend eternity in misery apart from God. That's what we're praying for. And so I'm telling you that up front. We're praying that you will have spiritual heartache. And that's one of the reasons it's dangerous, but there's more. It's also dangerous because in praying for new spiritual births, we're also praying for our own spiritual renewal. We're praying that God would draw us closer to himself in love and power this year. And that our lives would reflect that nearness to our Savior. That our lives would look less and less like us and more and more like Jesus. So it's both heartache and humility that we're praying for you. Two things that we're naturally pretty bad at. And Peter speaks to this. And our verse for the year isn't just a pithy announcement for us to hear. It's really a commission for us to embrace. And we see it right here. Coming out of verses 13 and 14, Peter there is talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. He says this in verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's our verse for this year as a church. And what we want to do is we want to apply that verse collectively to our collective life as a church in this year as as ordinary people, doing ordinary things, living ordinary lives, but doing it all with gospel intentionality. That's the prayer this year. And I love how Peter has framed the evangelistic mission of the church in this passage, right? And we're going to see three things here. So some of you note takers, you're going to, you're going to be happy with me this morning. We got like the traditional three points. There's sort of three strands of this cord Uh, that we're focusing on this morning. We want to make this as simple as we can. So we're just focusing on three. There's more, but we're focusing this morning on three. And the first is what we're going to call cultivating connections. We're going to call it cultivating connections. All right, so there you go. Over in Genesis 2.15, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, even before sin had entered the world, so I need you to realize that, even before sin had entered into the world, even before the fall, we're told that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it. He was there to cultivate it. That's the word for work. He was there to cultivate it and to guard it. Now, I want to be clear that God wasn't speaking in abstract terms there, right? It wasn't a hypothetical work that the man was purposed for in the garden. It was real hard work, something that God is pleased to honor, something that is not a result of brokenness, but something that reflects the imago Dei, that it reflects the image of God in mankind. Something that we are meant to be active and engaged in in the world around us. It's what some have called the masculine mandate. It was, that was the old covenant commission, right? And, and, and notice that it's not, a, it's not to domineer, right? When we start talking about masculinity especially, it's not to domineer, it isn't to control, it's not to bend it to your will. It's not that sort of toxic masculinity we see so much of today. No, it's to cultivate. It's to cultivate it. And to cultivate necessarily requires an intimate knowledge of whatever it is we're working with. That's why you don't see apple orchards in the Midlands of South Carolina, right? You ever notice that? Like we, don't just, we just don't grow apples around here. Now, two hours up the road, right? Hendersonville, there are apples everywhere. They make a fortune getting us to come and pick their fruit for them. It's a brilliant, brilliant scheme, right, that we just fall into, and they make the, uh, the donuts out of them. It's fantastic, all right? So cult, but here's the point. You can try all you want, but you're not creating an apple orchard here because that fruit won't grow in this land. That fruit won't grow in this climate. Two hours up the road, it'll grow all 
day, but it won't grow here. So cultivating, anytime you're cultivating something, requires an intimate knowledge or at least a base level of understanding of the needs, of, of the limitations, of the realities of the thing that's being cultivated. And here's the thing, like that principle carries over. It carries over here as we engage in our new covenant commission from Christ. Peter says this, he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you, do you see that in there? I want you to be very clear that we see, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who what? Asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. It's to be, pre, pre, be prepared to make a defense. That means to give an answer. Don't miss that. Listen, some of us are really good at being defensive. <laughs> like that's, that's not a spiritual gift, by the way. We're, we're pretty good as a culture at being defensive. I've learned anything in the last two years about humans. It's, it's that we're all pretty quick to be offended, and so we're equally as quick to be defensive. But that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about being prepared to give an answer. He's talking about being prepared to explain to anyone who would ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, here's what I have written in the margin of my Bible. If you don't believe me, you can see it. You might be able to see it right there. I have this written. It's been there for a couple of years. This is what I have written, where it says, anyone who would ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, here's what my Bible has written beside it. What if nobody is asking? And my fear is that I'm, that I'm not the only one in this room who needs to wrestle with that question. What if nobody is asking you for a reason for the hope that is in you? And there's several possibilities here, but, but here's just a few. The first, and this is probably the most tragic option, is that there isn't any hope in you. I mean, that's got to be a legitimate reason. If nobody's asking you for a reason for the hope in you, one of the reasons has to be maybe there's not any hope in you. We'll come back to that, but, that, but that's one. Another is that perhaps you don't know anyone well enough and aren't known by anyone well enough for there to be someone to even ask you that question. It's that our sort of American rugged individualism has manifested itself in the culture of the church and in the lives of Christians such that we don't have anyone around us who knows us well enough even to ask anything remotely as deep as that. That's the second potential option. Here's a third. It's that our lives don't look any different on the outside than the lives of the world around us. And the people who know us best don't know us as people who walk in the hope of Christ. This is one of the reasons we have to cultivate connections. We have to learn to build real, authentic, vulnerable, open, and honest relationships with those around us. Not just the people in our church and not just the people in our homes, but with fellow image bearers of God who are all around us. And yes, like, I want to just say this, the virtual work environment, the like remote working reality that a lot of us are dealing with these days, poses an obstacle, but it's no more than the rain this morning, right? Every single person here drove here in a car. None of y'all paddled here, and none of you had to get in a horse and buggy to get here. Not a soul. If you did, that's awesome, but I don't think anybody did, right? So you didn't get, you had to get, you got wet getting from the car to in here, maybe. That's if you didn't have the handy device that covers you up to make those 10 steps, right? So it's an obstacle. It's not an end of the game. 
It's not an end. Don't, don't let the virtual work environment be an excuse for you to stop getting to know people. Find a group to hang out with. Find a crew to play with. Maybe it's the other parents on, of the kids on your kid's team. Maybe it's the coaches and teachers and administrators where your kid goes to school. It can be anything. By the way, kids are a great gateway to evangelistic relationships. But maybe, maybe as those with the good news, we have to stop waiting for the world to come to us. It might be that you need to learn to invite people. Maybe, maybe it's just this simple. Hey, would you like to come to dinner at our house tonight? We have to learn to cultivate connections. The only way to do that is to actually get to know people. And the only way to do that is to actually walk in life with them. That's the first thing. We have to cultivate connections. The second part of this is we have to learn to offer gospel glimpses. Yeah, I'm trying to do, um, I'm trying to, whatever. I'm trying to do alliteration. I don't know if it works or not. Some of these are kind of a stretch. I'm trying my best. Anyway, gospel glimpses is to live a life that is saturated with Jesus to the point that it's his heart, his life, and his love that ultimately overflows out of you. It's that our lives would be centered on Jesus. This is what Jared Wilson has called this gospel centrality. And I love that phrase. We need to be intentional in our daily walks with Christ. That's how we begin to pursue the idea of being prepared to make a defense. It's knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And if you believe, here's the question, if you believe that Jesus truly is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him, right? You will want the people that you care about to know him. That will become a desire of your heart. If you genuinely believe that apart from Jesus, there's salvation in no other name under heaven or the earth, right? If you believe that, your heart will long for the people you love to know that name. That's what gospel centrality means. And when we grow in Christ, right? When we grow in our understanding of ourselves apart from him and the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we grow in that understanding, we will will also grow in that appreciation for what he has done. That he has made us alive together with Christ. How, how, how could we not want to share that? Seriously. I mean, think about this. If you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is the hope of salvation for all who believe in him, how much would you have to hate someone to not share that with them? If you believe that, and I'm not, talking, I'm not taking for granted that, that you do, right? I don't know that you believe that. I want to believe that you believe that. I want to believe that I believe that. But if you believe that Jesus is the only way to truly live and be reconciled to God, how much would you have to hate someone to keep that from them? Like, what if we did this? What if we each prayed? What if we committed to each one of us praying that God would give us just one person, just one? Just one person in our life to walk with toward Jesus. What would that look like? Like if everybody in this room just prayed for one person and God were to provide one person for you to walk with toward Christ, one person who right now doesn't know the Lord for you to walk with in the direction of the Lord. What if God would do, what if you would pray for just one person? What if your whole life, and here's, here's what would happen. What if your whole life could be summed up at the end of your days by someone saying, apart from their witness, apart from your witness, apart from his witness, her witness, I would not have known Jesus. Would you consider that a good life? If that were to be your legacy, would you consider that a life worth living? Not the money you made, not the number of kids you had, not the house you were able to live in. If you were able to point one person, one soul 
to Jesus, would that be enough for you? I still remember going on to a job site with my dad when I was pretty young. And we were, so we were electrical contractors. And so we were looking at this, this job and, and the electrician was showing us this conduit that he had installed. It, it was all, and it was going to be all this exposed pipe. So like when the building was done, you'd be able to see this. Everybody who walked in the building was going to be able to see this conduit running everywhere is what you call it, exposed pipe. That was going to be visible at the end of the job. And what you may not know about real tradesmen, like real craftsmen, is they take an, an extraordinary amount of pride in their, in their work. It's like an art form for them. And this electrician was so excited. Like I never, like as a kid, I remember this grown man was so excited to show, he wasn't excited to show me, he didn't care about me at the time. He, he wanted to show my dad, he wanted to show his boss his craftsmanship. He had bent and, and formed the conduit in such a way that it, that it followed all the angles of the building, right? It made sense. It looked good. It looked like it was part of the actual architecture. He, he had really done such a good job. It, it was like it was impressive. He had, he had done well. It was, it was pretty, if you can say that about construction material. But there was a problem with it. I didn't see it, right? I was too young. I was too inexperienced at the time to notice it. So I didn't see the problem. My dad saw it. And I remember my dad being so gentle uh, with this man. He told him how good it looked. But then my dad said something I've never forgotten. He said, it looks really good, but it's not going to be possible to get the wiring through it. He said, it looks really good, but you're not going to be able to actually pull wire through it. It has too many too many bends. It has too many degrees of bends in it that, that you won't be able to get the wire through. And then he said this. He said, you know, the only reason that we run a conduit, the only reason that you run a conduit is to get the wire through it. Listen, this is true with electrical conduit, and it's often true with Christians. There are so many of us who look really good in our Christian walk. Like we look put together. We look pretty. We've cultivated our lives such that we're pretty neat. When we walk in here and we, we want everyone, we genuinely want everyone to believe that we have it all together. We come in here week after week and people ask us how we're doing and we tell them we're good. Yeah, I'm fine. Because we want to have that cultivated, pretty life. And, and here's what the problem is. We seem to forget Mark 2.17 where Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick... Jesus said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. The reason nobody is asking us for a reason, or maybe the reason nobody's asking us for a reason for the hope in us is because we've covered up all the parts of our lives that would actually reveal any need for hope. We've hidden that. We've dressed it up so that we look good and we look acceptable. The only way for us to offer gospel glimpses is to meet people in the mess is to be honest about our struggles, is to be transparent about our pain and our sorrow. You see, that's where light shines. That's how, we, that's how we honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's by adorning the darkness with His light. That's our one purpose. That really is. It's to give Him the glory. It's to honor Christ the Lord as holy. We sing it two or three times in every service to, to bring glory to our King. Just like that conduit only exists to get the wiring from one place to another, the only reason you exist is for the glory of God. So that doesn't seem like enough. You don't know what God has in, in store for you. That's our one purpose as a chosen race. We didn't plan this, but Andrew prayed it. As a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So that why? 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. We've got to be the conduit. We've got to offer gospel glimpses to the world around us. It's our calling and it's our commission. And here's the last thing. We cultivate connections. We offer gospel glimpses. Here's the last quarter of the strand. <clears throat> we introduce to community. Obviously, that one's not, no alliteration on that one. Sorry, failed, tried, looked at every synonym you could find, just couldn't make it happen. We cultivate connections, we offer gospel glimpses, and then finally, we offer, or sorry, we introduce people to community. Jesus said this, he said that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Tim Chester makes the statement that it is our cross love for each other. Talking about sacrificial love. It is our cross love for each other that proclaims the truth of the gospel to a watching and skeptical world. Jesus has effectively, here's what Jesus has done. With that one verse, he's effectively given the world the right to judge whether or not your testimony is true. That's what he's done. He's given the world the right. That's the right he's given to the world to, to judge our profession of faith by whether or not this love is visible in our lives. Again, Chester says, we are the first ray of light breaking through into the darkness of a disordered and fractured universe. We are the first sign. You are the first sign of the new dawn. What you have in Christ, I want to just say this, and it's not because I get the pastor here, but it's mostly because I get to serve alongside of you. That, that's, that's really where this comes from. That what you have in Christ and what you have in here is worth inviting others into. It is. We had friends who put on their parkas and got on there. They wanted to wear their Christmas jackets so bad, and it was like a thousand degrees this week because what in the world is happening right now? But, but they put on their big jackets, and then they, like, whatever the little thing, the like trash bag that you wear, what is that thing called? You know, a poncho. They put the poncho on, and they go and they sit in Bank of America Stadium to watch a football game that they paid $65 or whatever, to sit in the upper deck using binoculars to watch ants run around on the field. That same person would struggle this morning. That's raining. It's raining. Get up and go to church. It's raining. It's raining? Like, can I, can I rant for half a second? Just stop it, okay? It's raining? It's wet. It's wet? Like, your tires are going to get wet. Not you. Not you. Not you. You're going to get in your garage, back out, and drive here. Sorry, she, she's laughing. She knows this is about to go bad. Sorry. This is not suffering from the Lord. This is foolishness. What you have in here right now, this is worth inviting people into. It is. The people sitting around you, they care about you. They love you. Even, even when you don't want them to, they just show up. I mean that in the best possible sense. When we do meal trains for our babies who are born, I'm like, seriously, y'all got to cut it off in a month. Stop feeding these people. We got too many babies coming. We're, gonna, we're all going to go poor feeding everybody after these babies. We're cutting it down to two weeks in 2022, by the way. You get two weeks, that's it. So you better make the most of them. What you have here is worth inviting another human being into. 
And as we walk together, right, as, here's the truth. As we walk together in true, like, self-sacrificing, self-effacing, self-giving love for one another, we present, what, here's what we do. We present a living parable of the gospel for the world to see. That's what we do and how we live. And God has given, Jesus has given the world the right to judge whether or not we actually believe what we say we believe by how we love one another. In a way, it's our lives that authenticate our message. It's our lives, our, our ordinary lives. Look, I'm not asking you to do anything extraordinary. I, did anybody hear me say, so everybody else, buckle up, we're all going to Liberia. I didn't do that. I didn't say, so everybody get your money right, go, we're all going to seminary. We can all be pa-. That's not what we said. Ordinary lives doing ordinary things with gospel centrality, with gospel intentionality together. That's what, that's what validates our faith claims. And the beautiful thing is this is God's design for the church. This is what he's called us into. This isn't hidden in the back. I mean, I know 1 Peter's kind of in the back, but it's in the Bible, right? It's right there. It's not a secret word that's been hidden. This is for all of us. This is designed for you and for me. Our prayer this year, very simply, is that we would live out the identity that God has called us into through Christ. And that we'd get to do this together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to need your strength and we're going to need your power. We're going to need your love. We're going to need your your grace. We're going to need your patience. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit here, we need it all. We need the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. We need all of that. That we might walk in faith with you. Lord, help us to answer the call. Maybe it's just committing to do a Bible study and bringing a neighbor with us. You don't even have to plan it. We've done all that for you. Maybe it's signing up and committing to a community group. Maybe it's just getting out of your house every once in a while and getting into the world and getting to know people. Quit hiding. Your house isn't a fortress. It should be a refuge for those who are needy. God, heaven forbid us to ever think that what we have is actually ours. It's all yours. Help us to steward it well this year. Help us to commit to that. And may you be glorified in everything that we say and in everything that we do. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get ready to come to the table, we invite you to stand and and sing, O come to the altar with us.